following message is presented by Erie Evangelical Free Church in Erie, Illinois. We are a church that exists for the good of our community and are proud to share the gospel of Jesus Christ as we seek to know Him and make Him known. In 1947, the Welsh poet Dylan Thomas wrote his most famous poem. It wouldn't be printed until 1951, but he wrote this in, in 1947. And, and it's a poem he wrote while his own father was dealing with a terminal illness. In fact, within two years of the publishing of this poem, both Thomas's father, along with his two best friends, and Dylan Thomas himself would all be dead. And the poem that he wrote is one you may have heard before. It's called, Do Not Go Gently Into That Good Night. It's a very short poem, and every other stanza ends with the, the same line. So there's two ending lines, and they, they alternate through the stanzas of this poem. The first ending line says this, rage, rage against the dying light. You've heard that, right? Rage, rage against the dying light. The other ending line of a stanza is, do not go gently into that good night. Thomas is expressing as he writes this, this poem, a truth that is still held by many to be true today. And it's the idea that we must fight tooth and nail until the very last moment against death. Literary analysts would say that this poem is a, a very brave poem. It's courageous. It's valiant in its sent sentiment. Why is that? Well, it's because death is our enemy, right? Right? Death is our enemy. Death is, is fighting, trying to defeat us every day of our earthly lives, right? What if I told you that's not exactly true? What if I said death is not really our enemy? What if I told you that as Christians, followers of Jesus Christ... We don't necessarily need to fight against death. But we must actually embrace physical death in order to know the fullest measure of hope by faith in Jesus Christ. The question I want you to ask yourself today, and as we go through these next couple of weeks, is this. Why must we not only accept death but embrace it as a meaningful reality? Okay, we're doing this in, in two weeks. Next week, we're going to talk a little more application about what we do. Today, we want to be a little more conceptual about what we're talking about. We want to set the stage. Today, we want to talk about just this idea of why we must embrace death. Next week, we'll talk a little bit about how. But today, we want to focus on why this is so important to us. And let's see not just what we think or what I think, but let's look at God's word and see what God has to say about the importance of embracing the reality of death in Psalm chapter 90. And the, 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 the first point that we're going to see from this comes just in verse 12. And it's this, that death sharpens our focus. Why must we embrace death? Because death sharpens our focus. The first 11 verses of, of Psalm 90. This is a psalm that is said to be written by, by Moses. It's a prayer of Moses. 
And in the first 11 verses, Moses goes through and he praises God's pre-existing immortal and sovereign nature while admitting that we, his mortal, finite, and fallen creatures, deserve nothing but his wrath. This is the whole point of the first 11 verses. Watch Watch how he ends. Skip back to verse 10. Verse 10 and 11, he says, our lives are 70 years, or if we're strong, 80 years. Even the best of them are struggle and sorrow. Indeed, they pass quickly and we fly away. Who understands the power of your anger? Your wrath matches the fear that is due you. All right, he says, listen, we've, we've got a few days. They're not, they're not endless. And the days we have are a struggle. Anybody want to amen that? There is struggle in this earthly life. But in verse 12, then Moses gives this response. Right? Verse 12, the first word, it says, so. And he responds in, in two parts. He, he gives this request to the Lord, and then he gives a reason for the request. In verse 12, he says, so teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. The request is this, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days. This won't surprise you, but the idea of numbering your days, it, it's in the Greek, it's an accounting term. Oh, surprise, surprise, numbering, it's an accounting term. But it's an accounting term. And it, it, it doesn't mean you're just going, oh, we got this, we got this, we got this day, we got this day, oh, we're gonna live till that, and okay, let's go. No, it's a careful counting it's not a flippant act. Like, oh, we got dime, we got these days, we got the, no, no, it is careful. It is thoughtful, it is deliberate. It is done with intentionality. He says, God, teach us to really take, take stock of the time that we have, the time that you have given us in this life, the days that we have to live. For what reason? Why? He says at the end of the verse, why? So that we might be wise, Teach us to take stock, to count carefully the days you've given us so that we might be wise. What he's saying is that to pretend that limits don't exist on the life that we have in front of us leads us into foolishness. If we want to live, if we want to act like we can overcome death by our own power, by our own strength, if we can think that death is never going to be a problem in our lives, we are fools. In Psalm 39, David says it this way, verses four through six of Psalm 39. Lord, make me aware of my end. Lord, make me aware of my end and the number of my days so that I will know how short-lived I am. This is not a guy who thinks he's gonna live forever. In verse five, he says, in fact, you have made my days just inches long and my lifespan is nothing to you. Yes, every human being stands as only a vapor. Verse six, he says, yes, a person goes about like a mere shadow. Indeed, they rush around in vain, gathering possessions without knowing who will get them. David's saying, this is is foolishness. To think that we're gonna live forever, that death is not something we need to understand, we need to come to, we need to embrace, we need to know. He says, is foolishness. So I was reading this, I was thinking about, you ever heard of Parkinson's Law? 
Parkinson's law is a, a very simple principle that says whatever task you have will expand or contract to fit the time that you have available. That's why for many of us, many of us, we have home improvement projects that get 95% done and then never get finished. Why? Because there's no deadline. I'll get to it eventually. Right? This is why some of you say, well, I work better with a deadline. You know what? You're right. You do. Because if I gave you a task and gave you five weeks to do it, you would probably do it in five weeks. If I gave you a week to do it, you would do it in a week. Because the tasks that we have expand or contract to fit the time that we have. And when we don't have a looming deadline, many of us will allow other things, tasks, opportunities, just random distractions to cloud our focus and keep us from doing what we know needs to get done and from wisely concentrating, focusing on the task at hand. It's the same in our, in our lives with death. If we think death is something we don't have to think about, we don't have to worry about. We won't have that focus that we need, that we find when we know our days are short. Now, let me just say this. Death doesn't bring us wisdom. Our knowledge of death doesn't bring us wisdom. But our acknowledgement of the certainty of death will draw us to wisdom because we have a focus that we would not otherwise have. When we accept that our days are limited, then we have a clearer picture of how to make the most of every single day that we have. But that will only come or only come in its fullness when we have a focus that is sharpened by death. Okay, that sounds really dark, right? A focus, we have a focus sharpened by death. Well, okay, well, what, what does that mean? Let me, let me give you two, two ways that this plays out. Two ways that we're changed by a focus that is sharpened by death. First, when we have a focus sharpened by death, we better decipher between what is fine and what is divine. Okay, we better decipher between what is fine and what is divine. Our world is full of things that are fine, things that are, are nice, are good, things that, that we enjoy, right? You will never hear me say, you will never hear me say, you like this thing, so don't do it, unless it's sinful, okay? Let's, that's off the table. I hope you know that by now. But that's off the table. But you're like, oh, I like, a, I, like a, I like an ice cream cone every night before I go to bed. Okay, that's terrible for your health, but uh, fine, right? Whatever. Nothing wrong with that. It's fine. That makes you happy, go for it. Uh, kids, close your ears, okay? <laughs> but there are lots of things in this life that are fine. But if that's our focus, if that's all we chase after, we miss the divine when we don't have that, that understanding that our days are limited, then we will fill our lives with fine things. And all of those fine things will push out the divine. We'll push out the things that God has given us to bring glory and honor to his name, to bring us true hope, joy, peace, and satisfaction. 
If we don't have that focus, we will we'll miss the difference between what is fine and what is divine. A focus sharpened by death better deciphers between the fine and the divine. Number two, a focus sharpened by death will better decipher between the urgent and the immediate. Will better decipher between the urgent and the immediate. In Matthew chapter 8, many of you know this passage well. There's a man that comes to Jesus. He says, Jesus, I want, I want to follow you. I want to go with you. And in verse 21, he says, Lord, this disciple said, I want to follow you. And then he says this, but first let me go bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their own dead. Now, if you've not studied this verse, that sounds very harsh of Jesus, doesn't it? Wait, my, my dad just died and I don't get to go bury him because I have to follow you? Now, if you have studied this verse, you know that's not what's happening. What this man is really saying is, I have family responsibilities. His parents are, are, are still alive, but it's the expectation that he would go take care of them and help them until they die. What he's really saying is, Lord, let me wait until my family dies I'm free of those responsibilities, and then I will come follow you. And what Jesus says is, listen, you got responsibilities, that's fine. But if that's more important to you than me, then you've missed the point, and you can't follow me. This man missed the difference between the urgent and the immediate. What was immediately in front of him was his family, his responsibilities. And because of that, he missed the urgency of answering the call of Jesus Christ. Listen, in our lives, do we have bills that need to be paid? Yep. Do we have groceries that need to be purchased? Absolutely. Do we have children that need to be disciplined? Some of us more than others. Do we have schedules that need to be arranged? Yep. But not everything that is right in front of us at this very moment is of the same eternal value. Only when we understand that our days are numbered and we have a, a focus that is sharpened by death do we have a better grasp of that insight and to know, is this, is this just immediate? Is this just something that's right in front of me that I need to do right now? Or is this urgent? Is this something that truly cannot wait. Death sharpens our focus. The question is, do we see our numbered days? Because all of us have numbered days. Do we see our numbered days as a limitation to be afraid of and to fight against? Or do we see them as a motivation to sharpen our focus for the task that is set before us. Death sharpens our focus. And with that sharpened focus, we then can see how also death shapes our purpose. Death shapes our purpose. Verse 13 through 15, as we continue in this passage, <clears throat> This prayer of Moses goes on. It says, Lord, how long? Turn and have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your faithful love. 
so that we may shout with joy and be glad all our days. Make us rejoice for as many days as you have, for as many days as you have humbled us, for as many years we have seen adversity. Here, this prayer of Moses continues, and, and, and it, when we look at these verses, we see that the, the psalmist rests all of his hope for life and for purpose in God's grace-filled compassion. This is the point he's making. Yeah, my days are limited. My days are numbered. Remember verses 1 through 11. He says, God, you are eternal. You are sovereign. I am finite. I deserve your wrath. Now help me to see the end of my days. Now help me to rest in who you are, in your loving faithfulness, your compassion. The psalmist here recognizes that our failed and finite flesh needs God's love in order to find satisfaction and joy and purpose in whatever limited days he's given us to live in this life. Whatever you have left, he said, you may have today and that's it. You may have 80 years ahead of you. Whatever it is, you will not find purpose. You will not find joy, hope, satisfaction. You will not find that by your own strength. You only find it in God's loving compassion. Notice how he ties this back to the, the numbered days. Why do we know that we need God's love and compassion in order to find purpose in our lives? Because we can't do it on our own. Our days are numbered, and that's out of our power. One theologian, Matthew McCullough, wrote about death and, and wrote about this idea of the numbered days. And he says, when we act like death is no problem, in other words, when we think that we don't have to deal with the numbered days of our lives, then we diminish what Jesus came to offer and we rob ourselves of his promises. Let me read that again. <laughs> when we act like death is no problem, we diminish what Jesus came to offer and rob ourselves of his promises. Again, he's saying if we think we can do whatever we can do and we can just be strong enough, we can be powerful enough, we can take care of ourselves and, and do enough healthy things that we're not going to die. Right? Death is not something we need to think about, we need to know about, we need to embrace. Then we're going to miss the joy, the hope, and the purpose that we have in Christ alone. I think this is why this, this generation we're living in right now, I can't speak for other generations, but I can speak for ours right now. I don't know if this is more prevalent today than it was 100 years ago or not, but I think this is what, a huge reason why in, in our culture, in our, our, our day and age, Many of us feel like we are constantly seeking purpose without ever finding it. Think about it. How many people do you have conversations with and they're, they're seeking a purpose, but they never, they never quite find it. Yeah, I did this, but man, I, I just I feel like there's something else. I feel like there's something more. The reason is we lack the necessary urgency. 
The reason for many of us is this. We go, I feel like God's called me to this, but I need to know more about it. I need to learn more. I need to have more skill. I can't just go out and share my faith. I don't have all the answers. And we think we'll always have another day to learn enough, to make ourselves good enough, strong enough, smart enough, to make ourselves, to put ourselves in a position where we can do what God's called us to do according to our standards. The problem with that is we never get there. And so we just push off that calling, that mission, that purpose, that task, that holy nudge that we've received time and time and time again. See, purpose is driven by a sense of urgency. When we say, God has called me to this, you know what? I don't have all the answers. I can't do this perfectly. I can't do this as well as I wish I could, but God's called me to this. And so I'm gonna give everything I have to the task. Why? I may not have another chance. This may be my only opportunity. In Romans 13, as Paul's writing some of his, his closing remarks, he's, he's calling the believers to action through the gospel. And in verses 11, 12, he says, besides this, since you know that time, since you know the time, it is already the hour for you to wake up from sleep because now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is nearly over, the day is near. So let us discard the deeds of darkness and put on the armor of light. Okay, what, what Paul's calling us to there is he says, listen, it's time to get up and go. It's time to be active, to work. Why? Why? Because our days are limited. We've been called to action. So don't sit in the dark. Don't hit the snooze button on our faith just time and time and time and time again. He says, no, get up, put away your PJs and put on the armor of light and let's go. I am 100% percent convinced of this, and it, it starts with me. I'm 100% convinced that God wants to do more in and through you and me than we will ever allow him to do. The very best of us, I think, will fight back against God just enough to keep him from doing everything that he wants, is willing to do in and through us. Because again, when we're honest with ourselves, we've all had times where we've shrugged off the Holy Spirit, where we've explained away, yeah, maybe God wants me to, but you don't understand. Like if God really knew, he wouldn't have called me to this. So clearly God's wrong. And we've just pushed away that gnawing calling on our hearts of where God is sending us. And if we're honest, a huge part of that, whether we know this or not, a huge part of this comes back to the fact that we don't really want to confront death. We don't really want to confront the fact that we only have a certain number of days. I got time. I'll do what I want to do. And if I get all that done, then I'll do what God wants me to do. But in the acceptance of the certainty of physical death, 
We are constantly reminded that we may not get a second, a third, a fourth chance for the purposeful task that God has set before us. Proverbs 27, verse 1, we read, don't boast about tomorrow for you don't know what the day might bring. Take that a step further. We don't know that that day will even come. The question that I, I was wrestling with as I prepared this message for this morning, I kept asking myself, okay, if I died today, would I be satisfied with what I've allowed God to do in and through me? Have I been open enough? Have I been willing enough? Death shapes our purpose. We need death for these utilitarian purposes that we've just talked about, purposes of of focus and, and purpose in our lives. That's very true. But there's an even greater reason an even greater truth that we need to grab a hold of as we see the need to embrace death. And that's because of this. Death, unlike anything else in our lives, death deepens our joy. Death deepens our joy. The psalm finishes up in verse 16 and 17. This prayer of Moses says, Let your work be seen by your servants and your splendor by their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be on us. Establish for us the work of our hands. Establish the work of our hands. Death deepens our joy. In the final verses, this prayer of Moses begs to be used by God in these numbered days to display God's glory and to recognize that this only happens by God's blessing. Now he says, okay, Lord, let, let, your fav- let the favor of the Lord be upon us. Well, well what does that mean? Right? Favor means God gives us everything we want, right? No, you know that, you know better than that. Favor of God does not mean that everything goes our way. The favor of God allows us to see what it looks like to walk faithfully with him every step of our lives. This is why in Genesis chapter 6, God looks at the world and he sees that the heart of man is only evil all the time. And he says, I can't let this keep going. I got to wipe mankind off the face of the earth. Right? But who, who's he save out of that? Noah. Right? And it says of, of Noah in Genesis chapter 6, uh, verse 8, Noah, however, right, as opposed to all the rest of mankind, found favor with the Lord. Did everything go right and easy and simple for Noah? No. God said, hey, Noah, you've walked with me faithfully. Congratulations. You're going to spend the next 100 years building a boat. Noah's like, what's a boat? I've never seen rain. (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's the fact that Noah sought the Lord and walked with him, and so God's favor rested upon him. Noah is blessed with deliverance because God's 
faithful love, God's grace and God's mercy are poured out on him. It's not because he deserves to be saved. He doesn't. He's like you and me. He's fallen. He's frail. He's broken. He sins. He still deserves God's wrath, but he finds God's favor because he walks with the Lord. (laughs) And so this prayer of Moses says, may the favor of the Lord be upon us. May we walk faithfully with him. And he says, and Lord, establish the work of our hands. He says, may that abundant life that we have as we walk with you, may that be known. May that be evident. Right? Establish the work of our hands, not what we want to do, but God, your will. May we be the instruments of your love, your grace, and your mercy. Okay, what does that have to do with death? Well, remember where this whole conversation starts. All of this flows from the fact that he says, teach us to number our days. Teach us to number our days so that we might be wise. Part of that wisdom is understanding the favor of the Lord. It's not something we deserve or even something we can earn. It is a gift given Two important implications that I want you to see from this. Okay, first, without death, without death, all meaning, all hope, all joy in our lives is a matter of our own ability to satisfy ourselves. This prayer of Moses says, God, teach us to number our days so that we might be wise and know that you are in charge of everything, that you are in control, that our joy comes in your love. If death is not an issue, if we have unlimited days to live in this life, right, then everything about our joy, our hope, it rests on our ability to satisfy ourselves. Let me tell you something. That will never, ever, 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 ever work. It won't because it can't. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 5 says, Cursed is the person who trusts in mankind, including ourselves. He makes human flesh his strength, and his heart turns from the Lord. Says you want to try to make yourself happy, satisfy yourself, go for it. You will fail miserably. So without death, all meaning, purpose, joy, hope, everything is placed on our own shoulders. Why? Because number two, without death, there's no end to the suffering and loss that we endure in this life. Moses said early in this that we need to learn to number our days. Psalm 39, we read that those days, those 70, maybe 80 years, are full of suffering and struggle. Okay, so you get to live forever in this life. A life that is full of struggle and suffering. I'm not saying there's no, there's no good parts. Like, I love my life. I enjoy the life that God has given me to live on this earth. 
But how many of us have been through terrible, awful, horrible struggles and pain and suffering? Without death, that is what we are left to for all of eternity. But because our earthly lives are limited, we get to be free to know the joy, the hope, the peace, the significance, and what those truly are in the Lord. Because there is death, we find joy even in the midst of our broken and flawed humanity. That sounds great, sort of, right? That even with all the bad stuff, we get to know joy, right? But there's a catch. There's a catch. The catch is that we only know joy, and we only know joy in death because the finality of death has been defeated. We only know joy through death because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, because God knew how broken and flawed and failed you and I would be and knew that we would never get this life 100% correct, which is what is absolutely necessary if we're gonna be saved apart from Jesus Christ. And so while letting the Israelites fail time and time again and showing them his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness time and time again until it became abundantly clear that they couldn't do this on their own, then he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be born to live that absolutely perfect life. The only perfect life that has ever existed in this world. And as a result of that perfect life, what happened? He was crucified, put to death. He died. He endured death. It didn't look like he died. It wasn't some figure of something dead, maybe up on a cross. No, Jesus died. He went through death so that he could be raised and strip death of that power of finality so that we could be delivered. Do we realize that that only comes because Jesus died? If Jesus doesn't die, we have no salvation. If Jesus doesn't rise, we have no salvation. But Jesus died his body was broken, his blood was shed. And because he died, we no longer have to fear death in any way, shape, or form. We don't have to deny that death exists. We don't have to stop thinking about it. We don't have to claim that we don't need to think about death. Jesus died. Because he died, we have the joy of hope and salvation. And because he died, death, while still difficult in this life, amen, has no power. It hurts. It's a hard thing for our flesh to deal with. But it has no power over us.
Does our thought of joy, our understanding of joy, our, our understanding of death deepen the joy that we have even in the midst of the sorrows and struggles of this life? Again, nearly every one of us in this room has been touched by the pain of death through the loss of parents, children, spouses, siblings, family members, friends. If you don't know that pain, you will. So we can't move through life pretending that physical death is not something that we must acknowledge, understand, even embrace. Again, that doesn't negate the pain or the loss that we feel when those we love die. It simply means we, we need to learn to see the meaning behind death. Physical death is a result of sin, of the brokenness of humanity. We can see that back in Genesis chapter 3. And therefore, it is a problem we need to address in our lives of faith. We need to acknowledge that death is neither enjoyable nor is it something uh, insignificant that should be ignored. But by Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, death no longer carries any power over us. And that being the case... We need not fear death. We need not be uncomfortable with it. We need not avoid it. I'm not saying we run to it. I'm not saying I can't wait to die. But we need not think of death as this scary, mysterious, morbid thing that we shouldn't talk about and we shouldn't think about. No, we must embrace the reality of death with the certain knowledge that through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can have a different perspective. We can embrace death knowing that it sharpens our focus, that it shapes our purpose, and that it deepens our joy for the numbered days of our lives. Church family, may we celebrate life in Jesus Christ. And may we do so remembering that we are free from the power the free from the power that death has in sin, and we are freed to the gift of eternal life through the body and the blood of our resurrected Savior. And may we rejoice in every one of the numbered days that we have. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the gift of the life, the death, and the resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the life that we have in and through that life, death, and resurrection. And we pray that as we go, as we go out today, that we go celebrating not, not pain and suffering, which are a natural part of this life, and are a a common and, and understandable and reasonable and acceptable response to death. But even in that, Lord, may we rejoice that death has no power over those who have given their heart, soul, mind, and strength to you.
that we might be redeemed. That physical death for us is an end to suffering and a welcome into glory. Lord, we love you. We thank you and we praise you. And in your great and awesome name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you'd like more information about Erie Evangelical Free Church or our ministries, please visit www.eriefree.com or join us in person at 1409 16th Avenue, Erie, Illinois.